0: The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Good morning, everybody. uh, I do see some familiar faces out there. Um, I hope I don't see those yellow sheets, (laughs) the sheets of critique. Uh, That's a a hazard of teaching practical theology is that I get to now stand up here and uh, probably do what I tell you guys not to do. Um, But uh, this morning we're going to look at a text out of John. We're going to look at uh, the second chapter of John. The first 11 verses, John 2, 1 through 11, a well-known event to most of us here. I'll be reading from the uh, ESV. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may the uh, words of my mouth now and the meditations of our hearts and our minds together uh, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Uh, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is a, uh, there's an old and famous restaurant up in Orange County, seafood restaurant, called the Crab Cooker. Uh, the Crab Cooker has a metal sign out front, so a large sign pole out front and the sign, a uh, metal sign way up high on the pole uh, in the shape of a fish. Uh, but strangely, it doesn't say the Crab Cooker uh, on the sign. It says, don't look up here. Uh, uh, It was one of the first jokes that my my young daughter understood uh, as a youngster who was just beginning to read. We drove past the restaurant, and she looked up, saw that sign, read it, and started laughing to herself uh, because even she uh, could see the ridiculousness of a sign uh, belying the only reason for its existence, uh, which is to uh, identify and point, right? That's what signs do. Uh, And that's what we have here. John tells us in verse 11 that this first miracle of Jesus is a sign, the first of many signs that he did. Uh, And as a sign, of course, it points to the Messiah, and it tells us what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be. If we just saw this event uh, as a raw, uh, random demonstration of Christ's power, you know, sort of a parlor trick, uh, or if we um, if we saw it as a as a moral lesson, uh, teaching us that we ought to bring Christ into our marriages. I've heard it preached that way, uh, sometimes at weddings, uh, uh, or if we um, uh, simply use it as an exciting proof text for our Christian liberty. Um, then we have missed the text's function, its function as a sign. We have to read this for what John says it is, uh, a sign. So this morning, I want to look at three ways, just three ways, uh, this miracle of Jesus at Cana uh, is a sign pointing to Jesus uh, as the Messiah. First, there's the time marker. Look at verse 1, the way the text opens, on the third day. Now that's a very familiar phrase to to us as students of the Bible, although here I don't think it has the meaning that you would naturally uh, attach to it. In the first two chapters of John's Gospel, John, like nowhere else in his Gospel, takes pains to show us the passing of days. There are time markers there in those first two chapters like there aren't in any other place in his gospel. So it seems like John is concerned to show us something, to tell us something uh, with with these time markers. What's the significance of them? Well, when you add them up, when you add up the time references, you discover that this miracle in Cana happens on the seventh day. The seventh day as the days are reckoned in John's gospel. Now, why is that significant? Well, we already know, don't we, that John is thinking about Genesis. Uh, He's placing, he's already placed Jesus uh, in redemptive history, going all the way back to creation as he opens up his gospel, right? In the beginning was the word. Now, he is showing us here in this first sign uh, that on the day the Father rested from his first work of creation, now God the Son begins his second work, the new creation. New creation breaks in with Jesus Christ. Old water becomes new wine. And if you are in Christ by faith, you are what? A new creation, right? The old has passed away. The new has come. This is a sign pointing us to Jesus, the Messiah, uh, who will be a bringer of new creation. Second, the way Jesus talks to his mother, uh, verse 4, uh, he calls her woman. The commentators do gymnastics uh, to show us that Jesus is not being rude here, as if they're very concerned that Jesus be well-mannered. And I don't disagree. Uh, They've persuaded me that Jesus isn't being rude uh, by calling uh, his mother woman. But the fact remains that that isn't typical. It's not typical in the address of sons to mothers. It's not the way a son would typically refer to his mother. It might be a polite way to refer to a female, uh, but it is not the way a son would typically address uh, his mother. So why did Jesus do it? Well, we've already been to Genesis. We need to go back to Genesis again but this time not to creation, not to Genesis 1 and 2, but to the fall in Genesis 3. In cursing Satan after the fall, what did God promise? That one day a seed of the woman would rise up and crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is subtly, or maybe not so subtly, Uh, showing us that Mary uh, is not just any woman, she's the woman, uh, the woman who bore the evil-crushing, Satan-destroying, messianic seed. Third, the miracle itself. Turning six stone jars of water used for ceremonial cleansing uh, into Great wine, filled to the brim. I, I suppose filled to the brim, so that there's a, there's no suspicion that uh, uh, something was added to the water to make it look like wine or taste like wine. No, it just turned to wine. Great wine. That's um, not a random miracle. This is this is a carefully orchestrated uh, event uh, that signals at the same time both sorrow and joy, pain and pleasure, or in terms that you're probably more used to dealing with here uh, at Westminster, suffering and then glory. But I'm going to do it backwards. I'm going to look at the glory first. When Jesus saves this wedding by producing 120 gallons or so of the best wine, what's he doing? He's giving us a foretaste, isn't he? A foretaste of the joyous messianic age that he is ushering in. A taste of the true wedding feast to come. As Isaiah saw it and described it in Isaiah 25, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. There's no mistaking that this uh, renewal of the party uh, is is a symbol and a sign pointing to the joy uh, of the consummated kingdom. But the joy of that promised future will not come without the prior suffering of the Messiah first. What nobody, it seemed, understood, certainly at this point. Because this sign points to a suffering Savior. There's an indication of that when when Jesus refers, in talking to his mother, refers to his hour which has not yet come. Uh, We know uh, that uh, that hour, certainly in John's Gospel refers to the hour of his sacrificial death on the cross. But this event points to that hour. You see, Jesus took water of the old covenant, water of the law, uh, the water that could only ceremonially clean, not really clean, and he changed it into wine. That day, the water of the law became the wine of the gospel, which gives us that paradoxical cleansing that John later saw in his vision that he recorded in Revelation. Remember in Revelation 7. John sees multitudes of people dressed in white robes, standing before the throne of the Lamb, uh, shouting out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the angel tells John that these people, these people standing there in white robes are those who have their robes washed white, paradoxically, in the blood of the Lamb. How do you get white garments when you wash them in red, staining blood? It's the gospel. You know, the partiers that day almost certainly didn't understand the deep significance of the wine they were drinking. But Jesus did. Uh, and we do now because we look back at this event through the cross, right? Right? Think about that moment in the party. Jesus has performed the miracle. The water has become wine. Nobody nobody really except the, the servants know that it's happened. Uh, but the celebration is renewed. Crisis averted. Party resumes. Uh, and there's all this revelry uh, going around as this new wine is, is passed around and, and drunk. And there's Jesus sitting there watching it all. What a poignant moment, Uh, knowing uh, since Jesus knew what that wine meant for him. Former Westminster professor, one of my former preaching professors, former president of uh, Westminster, Philadelphia, uh, Ed Clowney, now, with the Lord, uh, reflected on that moment in, in a sermon that I, I have yet to find. I'm, I'm trying to track it down, uh, but I, I remember this line, um, and I will close with these words of Ed as he reflected on this, um, this miracle and, and, and that moment. Uh, he said this, Jesus sat amidst all the joy, sipping the coming sorrow, so that you and I today can sit amidst all this world's sorrow and sip the coming joy. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can, as we gather in our congregations, and celebrate your supper, we can sip the coming joy, knowing that our future has been secured by you, our suffering Savior. Thank you that this world's sorrows uh, are not the end of the story, uh, but that by faith in you, uh, you will see us through uh, to the marriage feast of the Lamb and eternal life with you. Uh, Joy at your right hand, a joy forever. We thank you for that. And I ask you now to bless these students uh, as they study. Prepare them well, Father, for the work you are preparing in advance for them to do. Uh, be also with the professors as they labor uh, to, uh, to equip these students for the work you have for them. Encourage them. Bless them. We ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.